Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Well, good morning. What a morning, man. Um, not everything goes the way you plan, but here we are. And uh, regardless of what's going on, I'm excited to be with you guys. If I've not met you, my name is Tom, and uh, we'll be here for a little while. I'm excited um, uh, because we are wrapping up a series today. In Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This has been our key verse for almost two months now as we're looking at the book of Ephesians. And uh, it has been a great journey. We have explored one of the richest books in all of the Bible. And I really hope that it's been uh, somewhat of a benefit for you. I could say, honestly, even for me in preparing, it's been a benefit for me. And, um, and as we dive in today, uh, you just got to know, I'm a firm believer in like rote and repetition as a great channel to learn. And so I'm going to take some time to review everything that we talked about up until this point. So good news for those of you who have been or are here for the first time, you get to catch up with us in kind of like a speed way. Um, and uh, we're going to dive into that as we go into the final phase of teaching towards the end here. So let me just start with the big overview we have something called the Bible. And the Bible is not one book. It's actually a collection of 66 different books. And you can see on the screen behind me, it's divided into two sections. There's something called the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. And one great way to think about this is the Old Testament, all these stories, uh, crazy stories, actually. Uh, but you could think of it as this all kind of happened before the time Jesus came to this world. That's what happened in the Old Testament. And then we transition to the New Testament. And it starts out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you've heard of those books before. Those are the books that tell about the story of Jesus' uh, life. So it takes you right from his birth all the way through the book of Revelation. And now we have been in the book called Ephesians. You can see there, right here, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. This book was written about 60 years after Jesus, some say around 62 AD or so. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. There's 155 verses. 
And of all the churches that Paul ministered to, Ephesus was his favorite. From everything that we can gather about this church, there was something special about these people. And uh, they loved him. He loved them. From what we could tell about Paul's life, he spent the most amount of time in Ephesus with this church. He had started several different churches. Um, And so he writes this letter to them uh, that's pretty amazing. But before I get to how amazing it is, let me tell you the backstory about Ephesus. Ephesus is what we know as modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was the fifth largest city in the world And it was the epicenter. It really was. Um, Some have called it the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. It was the cultural center of art and philosophy and music. It was also a religious center. Uh, Some say there's over 50 different religions uh, that were um, followed in that day uh, in that part of the world. It had the most advanced technology in the world at that time. Um, And what it was most known for is one of the seven wonders of the world, the seven ancient wonders of the world, and that was called the Temple of Artemis. That's what the Greeks called it anyway. The, uh, The Romans called it the Temple of Diana. It was made completely out of marble. It was a feat of architecture at the time. And everything happened, literally when I say everything, like everything happened in this one humongous temple. It was not just for worship. In fact, in my research, I have found that they even did all of their banking out of this particular uh, building. So it was literally the epicenter of art, music, culture, worship, commerce, everything you could think of. Once a year, People from all over the world would travel to Ephesus and they would have these uh, feasts. It's it's kind of like the Olympics. That's kind of what it was like. They had sporting events and concerts and teaching times and and, and times uh, to offer sacrifices to Diana and Artemis. And so this is what was going on uh, at that time. I've told you, you could think about it like New York City. I mean, it's like... Everything, every culture, every, every race, every religion is kind of all in one single spot. There was a lot going on. It was a port city. So there was constantly people in and out. And this is the backdrop to this small group of people who decided to follow the way of Jesus. Very different from what most people were following this group of people were following this Jesus person. What was that all about? And it was Paul's mission to tell the world about Jesus. Uh, And so here we have this group of people, um, this small little church, and Paul is writing to them. And he's encouraging them. I said in the beginning, there's a lot of books that were written even by Paul, to different, you know, different letters or whatever uh, that were, he was addressing something. Something was going on. Something was kind of out of place. And he's like, hey, listen, we got to get back to the, the main thing here. But this was not one of those kind of books. This was a book of encouragement. He's like, keep it going. You're doing great. Keep your head up. I know it's hard, but you can do it. And by the way, over and over again, 
he keeps saying, I'm in prison because I believe this. Actually, over and over again in that book, he kind of brings that out. Why? Not to bring attention to himself. He simply says, this has transformed and changed my life and I've dedicated my life to it. Even if it brings me death, I'm in. I'm all in. And by the way, it did bring him death. He wrote this book from a prison cell and not too long after, he was killed. One of the things I love about Paul is his passion. And he feels compelled to write all this rich thing about the Christian faith. And um, I would just say, like, the most compelling people to listen to are the ones that are the most passionate, right? Sometimes it doesn't even matter what they're passionate about. You're like drawn in to them. And that's the sense I get uh, from Paul in here. He's encouraging, he's admonishing. He uses these words like, I urge you, or I insist. He gets so passionate at one point, here's a little bit of trivia for you, that the longest sentence in the entire Bible is written in the book of Ephesians. It's this masterful, run-on sentence of all these ideas. And I like to think it's because he's so excited. He said, check this out, and check this out, and check this out, and look at this. And, and what's cool about it is it's all about the blessings that we have in Jesus. It was about us. It was about them, which is kind of cool. The blessings we have of being in Christ. And that's where we took our title of our series from, In Christ um, it's a phrase that he uses over and over again, depending on your translation, 25 to 30 times throughout the book, he uses that phrase, in Christ, in Christ. And so what does that mean? What's he, he trying to convey? Well, he's saying there's a lot of things that you need to know and you need to discover in this new way of life, this new way of Jesus. And we began to look at that over the last six weeks. Who is Jesus? What was his purpose? What is salvation and why do we need it? What's the Holy Spirit and why is he important? What happens when I die? Is there anything after this life? And what in the world is the church for anyway? And so he begins to remind and to teach his audience all these things in this letter and that's how we got the Bible. These letters have been preserved over years and years of time by the early church saints. And this is why we read the Bible as authoritative as we do today in a church like this one. It's been carefully passed down generation after generation after generation. People have given their life to preserve it. So he says all these kinds of things. But one of his big things is it's not enough just to know all these things. You got to do it. If it's going to make any impact, if it's going to make any difference in your life, you have to do something about it. You can't just know, you have to apply. And furthermore, you have to apply them in your context and in your culture. Which makes it interesting reading the Bible sometimes. I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday. Listen, some things we don't apply exactly like they did back in those days. That's why some passages can be confusing in the Bible because you think, oh, well, they're supposed to do this because it says in the Bible. Yeah, in that cultural context, that was what was expected. But there are some things that, you know, that aren't that doctrinal thing that God says, it's okay. You gotta look at your time, your place, and your culture and apply that to the spirit of what God is trying to say through his word. 
And if you think that the world is bad and evil today, I would want to say to you that at that time as well, there were major, major things going on. Maybe even harder to be a Christian at that time than now. So primarily this book is written to people who are followers of the way. People that call themselves Christian. Maybe that's some of you, if not most of you in this room today, you would call yourself believers. You've uh, found Jesus. You're trying to follow his ways. And this primarily, this, this letter is written to people who were already following Jesus. People who were convinced that there's something different about the way of Jesus. And Paul was reminding them and encouraging them and saying, if you really believe this, this changes everything. It changes literally everything. And that's a little bit of what I want to get into today. But here's the big idea for the whole book. The big idea. If there's nothing else you take away from this series, it's this. What we believe determines how we live. What we believe determines how we live. Said another way, what we believe will determine how we behave. And that's true for anything in life. And so he goes, in you know, this per, first part of the book, he's like, here are all these different things that, you, that we believe in, the way of Jesus is about, and now you need to go and you need to behave like that. And so this is how we did this. Uh, this is what we talked about. First, we talked about Bob. We talked about the movie, What About Bob? And we just kind of illustrated that point that he had this certain view of the world. He had all these kind of you know, neurotic things that he was worried about and anxieties and whatever. And that's the way he viewed the world. And in response, that's how he lived his life. And so that's kind of that point with believe and behave. And then we went to the next thing and we have a, a, a picture of the handsomest Jesus ever. <laughs> and Carrie said, well, what is your picture? What's your image when you think of God? What does that look like? And we talked about uh, his plan to bring us into his family, adoption in Christ. And we have an invitation. Every single person has an invitation to be a part of God's family. And then we moved to this really beautiful couple in picture number three, where we talked about the timeshare. And if you're an owner of a timeshare, maybe of some beautiful, luxurious resort like this, you have access to blessings and benefits uh, that maybe other people don't. And we talked about what are the benefits, what are the blessings of following Jesus? And we tried to get really specific about that. And then we moved to this guy wearing some crazy jersey, bandwagon. I'm just kidding. Um, we talked about uh, submission in Christ. Um, and how mutual submission uh, to each other is important. And he was, you know, he was able to give up his candy and was able to share that with somebody else. Uh, that was one of the point of, you know, living out the Christian life, that we are doing this together. Uh, then we have this guy, uh, Neo, The Matrix. I'm actually watching The Matrix movie with my son right now. We're having a good time with that. We talked about this reality in Christ. And really what we were getting at is there's more to this life. You see, Neo is living in this alternate universe, really. 
there was a different reality than what was really going on. And so we say, hey, the same is true for the Christian. There's an alternate reality. There's something beyond this life. And then we got uh, to this guy, man. Our friend, Bob Marley. And we had a great choir singing that morning. And we talked about unity in Christ. That we were never meant to do this alone. And I have a feeling a sermon series is coming about that because the more and more I do this thing, I am convinced that we cannot do this thing by ourselves. We need other people in our life to fully express what God wants for our faith. And here is the blank space that we'll talk about today. And so now here we sit, Maybe with a little more knowledge, um, some of us may be a little bit more convinced. Maybe some of us not. But if all of this is true, if all of it is true, Paul says we have a responsibility now. He says it like this. You have a responsibility to live a life Worthy of the calling you received. Some of your Bibles might say walk instead of live. To walk a life that is worthy. And that word worthy is an interesting word. It actually means a weight or a balance. That's the way the Bible is describing that word. So now, the way you live your life, as a, if you say you're a follower of Christ, a believer, there's a weight to it. There's something more that has to, you have to be about. And so we're going to explore that in our final thing today for a few minutes, and I'm calling it Living in Christ. And by the way, all of our notes are available online at any time. If you're watching online this morning, uh, you can click on that link and you can follow along with the notes for today. All of you here in house can go back and check these out or bring them up on your phone right now. So Paul gets really, really specific about what it means to walk or to live as a Christian. And I actually started this in the last message I taught. And there were four main things that I brought out. Now, I talked about this in the context of unity in the church. But there are four things, that, four attitudes that I believe are like the core foundation for every believer. For everyone who's going to follow God, there's four attitudes that we need to be constantly working on and pursuing. First one, humility. Humility. There's probably no greater trait that should define our life more than this thing called humility. The next thing I said was gentleness. Gentleness. And don't confuse this with weakness. This idea of gentleness is a quiet strength. It's not harsh, it's not rude, but you are firm. And there's this gentleness when we do our lives with other people that we need to have. The third thing I said is patience. And it's not me saying this, by the way. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians. Patience. 
Now we might have again a different picture of what the intended meaning. See, every word in the Greek does not translate exactly for like a word that we have today. And the idea with this patience word is the idea of not retaliating quickly, to be more measured, to be less avenging in our reactions and our responses. And finally, maybe the hardest of all, forbearance. Not a word we use a lot, but not one that's difficult to understand. It basically just means you have to be able to bear with other people's faults. Everyone has weaknesses, and we have to find a way to live in harmony with each other. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. And I was reminded, or I was thinking about this uh, over the last couple days. Just imagine if some of these attitudes were really lived out the way I think, the way of Jesus calls us to live them out. And I wonder if there would be war in Ukraine right now. If we were truly hu uh, humble and gentle and patient and forbearing. So if all of this is true, there's this weight to our lives and now we have some responsibilities. Because if all of this is true and the way of Jesus is the only way to actually find true and lasting joy and peace, then we have a responsibility with that. We have a responsibility to share that in our lives and in our actions. The way you live matters. This is how Paul says it. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight and nine, if you're following along. He says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You were once full of darkness. You know the word darkness is mentioned 200 times in the Bible. And if it means anything else other than like literal darkness, if there's more of a metaphorical meaning, almost always it means this. It means something is obscure or unclear. Something is obscure or unclear. He calls it, you have this, it has to do with your mind. It has to do with your mind. He goes, your minds are, are darkened. That's, that, this is the illustration he's using. Your minds are darkened. You were once unclear, he says. You once, you didn't have an understanding. You were in the dark. You know what it's like to be in the dark. I know this may be really uncomfortable for some of you. Okay, it's okay, right? It's okay, it's okay. Some, when, when things are pitch black, you can't find your way through. You're gonna stumble. You're gonna fall. You're gonna crash into things. You're going to get hurt. But he says... I want you to live as children of light. 
See, this one little flashlight that I have actually makes all the difference in the world for me. And I want you to take out your phones, everybody. And I want you to turn on your flashlights. Because once we all put on our flashlights all over the room, everything changes. I can now at least partly see some of your faces. By the way, if you are online uh, right now, I'm sorry. (laughs) Light is mentioned about a hundred times just in the New Testament alone. And when that word is used metaphorically, it almost, well, half of the time, about 50% of the time, it means that something is exposed or brought to light. Now, there's a new knowledge. It always has to do with our mind, our understanding. I find this very interesting. We once had a darkened understanding. We couldn't really kind of, we're kind of grasping or we're feeling our way out. But then there's a light that turns on and we begin to get clarity in our minds. We could turn the lights back on. A little light goes a long way, doesn't it? A little light goes a long way. Ephesians 4.17 says, so I tell you this and insist on it. Here you go. Paul's getting excited again. I insist. This is the thing that you have to know. You can't live any longer like the Gentiles do. Now, we talked about Jews and Gentiles. That is not what that means here. He just means those who are, um, this means more of like those who are in the darkness, those who are not following the way of Jesus. He's not talking about literal, like, non-Jews. He goes, you can't do that anymore. You can't live like they do it. It's futility in their thinking, and they're darkened in their understanding. And so he's warning this group of people who says, yeah, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. He's insisting that you can't keep thinking mind like you used to think. Or like maybe others who are not following the way think anymore. This is what he says in another part of the Bible, the book of Romans, which is another one of his cornerstone books. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. I, I don't have it on the screen. Just try to listen to what I'm saying. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth with their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I'll stop real quick for a second. What's he saying? He goes, God has made the ability to see truth plain to everybody. Everybody in this world. And you say, well, how can that be true? Well, he goes on to say, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. He's talking about creation. So that people are without excuse. He goes, you, you have any person who could look around and try to explain the world, the plants, the trees, the animals, the water, how a human grows, how a plant grows. How, again, I'm not a scientist. All these things that are so intricate, how the universe moves without crashing into each other. All that, you know, like, he goes, there's invisible things here. 
that should make it obvious that there's something more going on in the world than what we could just figure out in our own minds. He goes, for, the, all, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became, the same words, futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. We all think we're so smart. We do. We're all, every single one of us is guilty of this. We, we and, and as a culture, we think we have, we've become so evolved in the way that we look at things and in our issues and our problems and how we, you know, figure it all out. We just have some good hard thinking to do and, you know, we, we take for granted like these little pithy quotes that we might see on our social media feeds that we think is some sage advice and yet God says, you continue to miss the point. He says, you're fools. It's like we're trying to feel our way around in the dark. We're trying to come up with these answers that we might not have answers for. The way of Jesus works differently. God's economy, let me just tell you, is typically flipped completely upside down from the economy that we experience in our world, or at least the prevalent economy that our world is in. That's why he goes into the, in other parts of the Bible, he goes, you need to change, transform is the word he uses. You have to literally put on your head, you have to flip over and change the way you think and walk as children of light. That word literally means light of truth and knowledge, reason and understanding. And so what am I saying? Here's the takeaway. As Christ followers, your small little light matters. Our daily Christ-like actions are like small little lights in the world. Our daily Christ-like actions are like small little lights in the world. And then he goes into this whole list, basically from Ephesians, I think 4.18 through the middle to the end of chapter six, those last three chapters, he starts to go all the way through all these attitudes, these actions of what it means to actually look like a follower of Jesus. And like I did last time, I'm not gonna go through them all, but I'm gonna tell you some of the things that are said here. And it's really interesting the language uh, that he uses. He uses this image of putting off and putting on. Kind of almost like this, like this change of clothes, right? When um, I told my daughter I was going to tell this story, you know, when she was a, a little girl, um, I, you know, it's probably true for every little girl who thinks they're a princess. They change their clothes all the time. And then they have, she had a, like a princess dress for like every occasion. Most embarrassing thing was going to the grocery store with my daughter because she refused to take it off. Some of you don't care. For me, it bothered me. I'm like, come on, put on normal clothes, right? And then she would play dress up all the time and she'd put layer upon layer. And sometimes she'd put like a dress over a dress. And, uh, and, that's kind of the image that I get. It's like someone, you know, who's like playing dress up and they put on and they put off. This is the image he's using. He goes, you need to put off that other stuff and there's a new way you need to live. There's a new way you need to dress. There's a new things you have to start doing. So this is what he says. It's kind of this listing through these chapters. He goes, you need to put off lies and put on truth. 
You need to put off lies and put on truth. And all I'm going to say with that is, I think even we lie to ourselves in the way we deceive even our own selves. And he's saying, you got to keep working on that. You got to put that off and really speak the truth out, not just to other people, to yourself too. He says, you need to put off anger and instead you need to put on right thinking. See, anger is just kind of misplaced thinking, misplaced expectations usually. Because you got to start thinking right. He says, put off stealing. And I found this one interesting. He goes, instead, put on work and sharing. You might think of, you know, stealing as something different, but he's saying, if, if, if you're not a giver, if you don't share what God has given you, it's kind of like you're stealing from them. He also said, he also equates it to work. You know, again, I think we, uh, we live in a culture in some ways we've lost a little bit about what that means to work hard. I've talked about that before. He goes, start, start working, start sharing. Start doing this thing together. He says, put off unhealthy talk and put on beneficial talk. I'm gonna start going quicker. Put off bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice and sexual immorality and impurity and greed and obscenities and foolishness and degrading jokes. It's pretty specific. He goes, if you wanna have a small little light in the world, you need to start thinking about the way you live, the way you talk, the way you interact with other people. He says, instead, put on kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and thankfulness. And so he kind of sums it up and he says, in Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, says, so be very careful. And I said this the very first week because I love this verse. So be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Be a light. One quick story I'm pretty much gonna end with. I remember um, years and years ago, I worked with somebody. And um, I was young at the time and just trying to, I don't know, do what's right, I guess. I was very different from all the other guys on the job in the way I think I, I was probably more different than I even thought I was um, in the way maybe I spoke, the way I operated, the way I thought through things. And I would get teased a little bit. Uh, he's the, you know, the goody two-shoes kind of guy. He's too good for that. You're not going to go out with it, whatever. Um, but what I remember is a couple years ago, I got a call out of the blue from someone I hadn't spoken to in years and years and years. And this person was going through a really tough time in their life. And they were like, I know what you believe and I just need to talk to someone about that. Just a little light. It's all, it, was just, it was just a little, I really didn't do anything. I, it's just a, it was just a little light. And it was so different it was so different from like the prevalent thought or the attitude or the action and it made a difference. Here's how I want to conclude today. About 30 years after this book was written, 
So we're now we're talking about AD 90 to 100, somewhere in there. There was another, there, well, there was a, another guy. His name is John. And he received a vision from God, the Bible tells us. And it's the book of Revelation. It's kind of the scary book that we all don't know what to do with it. But John receives this vision and he says, write down everything I have to tell you. And so this is about 30 to 40 years after this book to Ephesus was written. And he writes down what God told him to write down. And what's really interesting is in the second chapter of Revelation, he starts writing these messages from God to various different churches throughout the world. One of them was to believe it or not, you know what I'm going to say, the church of Ephesus. And it's really, overall, there was a lot of commending things that were said, a lot of great things that were said about this church. They were, they were commended for a lot of great things. That they, you could read it yourself. He says, but, but, there is one thing. And this is what he says in Revelation chapter two, verse four. He said to the people at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, this is what happened over a generation of time, basically. He says, you've forgotten, you've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. He says, you started out so great. And over time, apathy set in, kind of got, Tired of fighting. Being a light is hard sometimes. You forgot how profoundly different the way of Jesus actually is. That it kind of flips things on its head because what we are inundated with is so different. You just kind of forgot. You started doing things the old way again. You started being prideful over humility. You started preferring power over gentleness. You started seeing retaliation come up in your life instead of patience. You started casting people out and having nothing to do with them instead of lovingly forbearing with each other. You forgot. You walked away. You got comfortable. You lost your way in the dark by the way, probably all the while thinking you were becoming more and more enlightened. And in the meantime, you have more anxiety. You have uh, less peace. You have more fear. You have less trust. You have less confidence. You have less hope. The thing I want most for every single one of you is that you would see things for what they are. I want for God to reveal himself to you in such a personal and intimate way that there is no mistaking that it is God trying to tell you something. And that this revelation of God in your life will open your eyes to see things in a completely different way with a brand new perspective. And this perspective, this completely different view of God and the world will give you a hope and a peace that you never thought possible. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your wisdom. And I thank you most of all for your grace. Lord, if I have given any indication that we are to follow a set of rules or to be perfect, God, I've missed, <laughs> I've missed the heart of what I think you're trying to tell us. Instead, God, I think it's, we need to be humble and just understand that we don't have all the answers and we may not have all the answers. But that God, we have tried so many things and it just seems like over so much time you've proven yourself faithful over and over. And so Jesus, we trust you. I pray that for every person here that their eyes would be opened in their own way, in the way that you wanna show them, in the way that you wanna reach them. Uh, God, if there's anything that I've said that is useless and they don't need, I just pray that they would just forget that. And I, and I submit everything that we've said here, even in this series, God, to your grace and to your love and to your power and to your divine will. Because I do trust you. I trust that you're good and that you want the best for us and that you're a God of hope in peace, in mercy, in justice. And God, that people see that through the lights that we are in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.